0: Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Wednesday, May the 10th, 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst alongside Charlie Potter, Tuscaloosa Bureau Chief for BamaOnline.com. I'm good at coming up with new titles. That might be a new one, Charlie. I, I think that one might work pretty well. And you remember, Charlie, when May was a time for catching our breath. Heck, even June for that matter. But with the transfer portal and a Official visits in both May and June nowadays, no such thing, I guess.
1: No, it's a a busy time of year, like all year round, essentially. You have a little bit of a break, kind of the beginning of July um, before SEC Media Days, but that's just a couple weeks, and then bang, you're right at the unofficial start of the season. But yeah, I mean, I really do feel for the recruiting reporters, because June now is a big time part of the the calendar. Um, But yeah, just from a a general roster standpoint, you exit spring, you kind of get a feel for, you know, where things stand. And then we've seen with Alabama, they've still been heavily recruiting the defensive back position. And so, um, yeah, and that's, that's after they go out and land a quarterback. So it has been busy. um, But, you know, with this new kind of era of college football with, transfer portal, and NIL, everything. its There's a lot on these coaches' plates, and that kind of trickles down to then you have to to cover it, so it affects everybody.
0: Absolutely does. And um, speaking of the transfer portal, big news on Tuesday is Louisiana defensive back Trey Amos makes it known that he'll be joining the Crimson Tide for the 2023 season. Look, Troy, I think coming out of spring drills, we all realize that depth was a concern at corner. And at safety for that matter. So if UA could find a viable option in the portal, it would make sense to go that route. And it looks like that's the case with Trey Amos, a guy who also still has a couple of years of eligibility remaining. And as a fourth year corner, he had the COVID year, I guess, at Louisiana in 2020, so he's able to keep that year. Uh so technically a red shirt junior, I guess, in twenty twenty-three, but you no, know, he's the only by my count anyway, tell me if I'm wrong, only fourth-year corner Alabama will have going into fall camp.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of experience in the defensive backfield. Um, it, the Safety, there's a little more because you have Malachi Moore and, and Christian Story, who have been in the program for a little bit now. But yeah, the cornerback position, it, it's a young group. And Kool-Aid McKinstry, is going in his junior year, it could all but be his last year to Alabama if he plays his cards right and turns pro after the season. But yeah, it's it's a... That was a position that, um, you know, going into the spring, it had a lot of promise because of Kool Aid and some of the younger players. But we saw Jaques Robinson and Traquan Fagans enter the transfer portal uh, before the 8A game. And that was after uh, a guy like Kyrie Jackson hopped in the portal, um, you know, before the season ended. And you had just a. Question mark about numbers, and I think it, I might have asked Nick statement. I don't actually remember It's so far uh, removed now about just the depth at the cornerback position. This was after the transfers, and he said, we got a long ways to go. And so when you look at just from a numbers standpoint, it makes a lot of sense that they would want to go out and not only get a cornerback, but get a guy that's kind of a proven player. And that's exactly what Trey Amos is. And you talked about the whole secondary um, you know, the safety position, too. I think right now they have 12 available defensive backs, and that's with Tony Mitchell being suspended, so kind of keeping him on the outside looking in because there's some uncertainty there. So 13 on scholarship, 12 available. and So, yeah, it, it makes sense that they're kicking the tires on some of these guys.
0: Yeah, and none of this is to say that Alabama doesn't like its young players at corner, like Hurley and Ricks and Kite, uh, who we saw, as you alluded to there in the 8 day scrimmage, pretty – prominently working more with that second group it's just once you get beyond mckinstry and terry and arnold and even earl little jr there's not a lot to go on there that we have documented uh that the coaching staff at its disposal, absolutely. So, yeah, when you think about it from that perspective and you know, you watch some tape of Trey Amos from last season, it looked like he was more of a true outside guy mm-hmm. at Louisiana. And so while that doesn't maybe play into the star position directly, it does impact star from a standpoint of giving you some flexibility with a guy like Arnold, who along with little and Malachi more, I guess, worked inside some during the spring.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, to me, it almost helps Earl Little a little bit because you you, you look at the cornerback position before Amos commits, and it's basically just Kool-Aid and Terran Arnold. And you know, if you have a uh, an injury there, then I guess Earl Little might be your next man up. Antonio Kai could also obviously do that, and maybe you go with the younger guy. But I think the coaching staff is really high on Earl Little. He was a guy that for most, if not all, the spring worked there in the slot. And then because of the transfers, you had to kind of move things around. That's why Malachi played um, star in the 8A game. They moved Earl back to the twos just because, you know, they didn't have the numbers there. Um, and it does it gives you flexibility, like you said, because now you have three proven cornerbacks um, that you can use in competition. You do have some flexibility where you can move guys around, but it almost takes a little bit of pressure off of Earl Little knowing that you can focus solely on star at this point. And I think that's good for him. And I think that's a position where he can really thrive. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, Kool-Aid is a guaranteed starter. You don't really want to say that at Alabama because things can always change. Competition is always happening, but it, now it'll be interesting to see what happens opposite him, because I think Terry Arnold had a really good spring, but you go in and you go out and add a, a proven and experienced piece like Amos and, Um, he's a guy that's going to come in and and compete right away for playing time. They don't really bring these guys in to not do that. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I I do think it kind of gives you, um, like you said, that flexibility and takes some pressure off some guys.
0: Yeah, you know, you're right. There was a lot of positive buzz about Tarion in in the spring, not only at at corner, but, you know, also seeing some time inside at star. But I I think if there's one question you maybe have about Tarion Arnold, It probably has more to do with can he play as much man coverage on the outside? Is is he really a viable man coverage guy that Nick typically has in his system like Kool-Aid on the other side? And, you know, that's where perhaps bringing in a guy like Amos with his length and watching him at Louisiana seem pretty comfortable with that aspect goes back to that competition word you talked about a couple of times here in the last little bit. And this is certainly a big part of what's going on in the Alabama secondary in the last couple of days. So you talk about the safety position, Alabama still working the portal at that spot. UAB safety Jalen Key has been linked to Alabama in an official capacity. It's another area where depth is a bit of a concern, perhaps not as much as corner, because I thought Bray Hubbard and uh, Jake Pope showed some good things in the 8A game. But again, how that plays out at safety can go a long way in impacting roles at star and money and the nickel and dime packages, right?
1: Yeah, definitely can. Because right now, I think you have three top guys with Malachi Moore and Christian Story and then Caleb Bounds, um, you know, the true freshman lived up to the hype, and I think he's going to certainly be a part of this secondary uh, come the fall. But then you can, you know, kind of figure out what you want to do from there. Uh, I think they like having Malachi in the back end. You know, he spent most of the spring there rather than star, which is where he ended the spring. But, um, you know, it, it gives you some flexibility. If, if you don't uh, feel completely comfortable with Earl Little or you do want to add some competition, you could play Malachi at star. Then you have Caleb Downs, and and maybe if you land Jalen Key, add him at safety. You have Christian Story at the money position. So, again, it it gives you options, and you're right about you know depth. You have more Story Downs. Uh, you're right, Jake Pope and Brayson and Hubbard both showed some good things in the spring game. I think Jake Pope was a highlight for a lot of people. Uh, And then again, there's question marks about Tony Mitchell and his availability. You know, what will happen with that with the from a legal standpoint? So you're looking at not a lot of bodies. What is that? Six. Um, And then you add a seventh. I think that helps a lot. Um, It helps guys uh, not only from a a secondary standpoint, but then it you you have some more special teams bodies, because we see DBs play a lot of special teams roles um, on all four units. So that's another area. I think both of these guys, if Alabama's able to land them, uh, can help in that capacity as well.
0: Yeah, and Nick doesn't short special teams. You know, he doesn't just say, well, put some walk-ons and some true freshmen out there, and we'll see how it goes. As we've seen throughout his lengthy tenure at Alabama, you'll see frontline guys on special teams. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So Charlie, with Alabama linked to at least three transfers since the end of spring drills, is this more about depth starter options or maybe both? And I'm including obviously Tyler Buckner in that mix to go along with these DBs
1: I think it's a little of both. Um, I don't think obviously any of these guys are guaranteed a spot in the starting lineup by any means. That's not Nick Saban style, but again, whenever he goes to the portal, uh, it's usually not to go and get a, a bench guy. And so uh, I think, he sees areas on the team, which the defensive backfield is more about numbers. You have some guys that have left the team. Um, again, there's uncertainty about some others and there's a lot of talented young players, but they're not proven players. And I don't think you want to be just entirely young on the back end. Cause there's a lot of new guys stepping into new roles with so many guys moving on like Jordan battle, DeMarco Helms, Brian branch, Eli ricks. So, it's a situation where, uh, on defense at least, at least after the spring, I think you are addressing your number situation and, and adding some some proven depth and guys that can come in and compete for starting supplies. So the quarterback position, um, I think you're not just completely sold on what you have. And I think there's an obvious need, or at least they see an obvious need, uh, for some more competition there. I don't think Tyler Buckner, again, is, is guaranteed to be the starting quarterback but he's certainly going to come in and compete for the job. And um, I know you and Tim have covered it on the, the podcast here, but it'll be interesting to see how quickly that race dwindles from three to two um, because you there aren't a lot of reps to go around. And, you know, they're going to want to figure out, you know, who's going to be the starting quarterback and who can lead Alabama to to wins. And so I think from an offensive standpoint, it was more of a need to – create competition and to find the guy there so a little different in terms of what they're looking for on each side of the ball but I think the
0: the guys they went out and got filled the needs that they had yeah I think numbers are the thing we get so caught up in and you said a key number earlier about six defensive backs where the secondary is concerned and on a weekly basis you have to have six legit dudes between your base nickel and dime packages You can't get away from that. And if we think six is the number, that tells you that Nick Saban thinks it's like, what, more like eight or nine (laughs) is what he really wants. Because, you know, he's thinking about injury and effective play, different kind of things that crop up. So it's not just your top six. You need another two or three that you feel like in a game uh, on the fly, even you can plug and play with and and not sustain much of a, a drop off. And I'll tell you what else I think is involved here, Charlie. I think the schedule is involved here, too, because you got Texas coming into Tuscaloosa in week two. And Nick Saban, I think we both have come to the belief and the understanding. Nick Saban, Charlie, he's not a, ah, it'll be all right kind of guy, you know. He, he knows what's coming from a schedule perspective, and he isn't going to assume anything at three of the most important positions on the field. Not just Texas either, but you look at Alabama's schedule. This is more from, you would think, a defensive standpoint, but I think quarterbacks involved in this, too. There are eight teams on Alabama's schedule that have strong quarterback passing game sort of scenarios set up. So um, I think think he also considers the quarterback position in that because he knows that even with this sort of renewed approach to physical first football on the offensive side, there's probably going to still be a couple of games where being just serviceable at the quarterback position isn't going to be enough.
1: No doubt. Yeah. I mean, the the days of game manager are kind of gone to the wayside. Like you want the guy to be able to manage games, no doubt. But uh, you got to make plays on offense. And, you know, I think one of the things he he says it all the time, but he was very adamant about it um, You know, late in the spring is that he likes the the group of skill players that they have, whether it's the running back group, which he praised at length throughout the spring or even the receivers. Um, And we saw the tight ends involved quite a bit. Um, You know, during the 8A game, I I think the pieces they have around the quarterback, he feels pretty good about. And so they just have to have a guy that can consistently distribute them the ball and allow them to make plays. And, um, you know, so far, Alabama doesn't have that guy, or at least they're not doing it on a consistent enough basis. And, you know, you do have the, the middle Tennessee game to open things up. But, I mean, you jump in the deep end right after that. And, you know, these quarterback positions or quarterback battles can can linger into the season. But you're going to want to figure things out. And I think whoever wins the the competition, um, you know, they're going to have to prove they can make plays but also take care of the football. I think, you know, that was an issue for the guys on campus during the spring. It's an issue for Tyler Buckner and his career because he has – I think more interceptions than he does touchdowns uh, throughout that. So, you know, the guy that is coming in, sure, he's going to have to be able to lead the offense and manage it from that standpoint, but he's going to have to make plays to, to win games. And uh, while I do think the defense could almost be improved from last year, um, I, I think that, you know, ultimately you don't want to go into a season where you have question marks about the, the quarterback position. And if that guy can can lead you to some wins.
0: Yeah, the Tyler Buckner ride and the Gator Bowl game should have required a height uh, requirement. You know, <laughs> you, you should have had to have been a certain height to get on the Tyler Buckner ride for that game against South Carolina because it was a little bit of everything. I think five total touchdowns, a couple of pick sixes. It kind of reminded me of Mac Jones against Auburn in 2019. And, hey, maybe that's an omen. Maybe that's a connection Alabama fans can hope for because, as we know, in 2020, Mac was uh, – was lights out and I think something else you hit on again earlier um Nick Saban doesn't want guys coming out of spring assuming anything Mm -hmm. in in regards to their their status on the depth chart or where they're at in the pecking order uh he wants that competition level ramped up throughout the summer uh and so if you are one of those guys coming out of the spring, and you thought you saw maybe a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It can often turn out that it was just another kind of inbound train (laughs) at your (laughs) spot that was uh, making its way to Tuscaloosa. And and look, and with these guys, right, that we're talking about, these transfer port portal imports, not just depth, but you're adding experienced guys while also replenishing that competition that you've had kind of robbed from you where the portal and or the NFL draft is concerned. Charlie, did you see the win total that's out there for Alabama in 2023? 10 and a half. Now, I think we need to note that total typically entails the regular season only. So, my understanding is we're talking about 10 and a half over a 12 game stretch. So, if you like UA over the 10 and a half, you're thinking 11 and 1 at the worst, Charlie.
1: I think that's doable uh, because a lot of the tough games are at home you know last year you know the two losses happened on the road you get Tennessee and lSU at home this year with kind of that revenge factor um you get Ole Miss Arkansas Texas at home you got to go to am but you know am they're hard to kind of figure what they're going to look like this year then you go to Mississippi state uh, Kentucky and Auburn and Auburn's always a bugaboo uh, for Alabama going down there. That's a always a weird trip, no doubt. But uh, first-year head coach, you, you wonder how that will play out. I think 11 wins is certainly doable. Now, I, I don't think going out there and just expecting Alabama to go undefeated um, is that plausible because it, it rarely happens. And, um, you know, we've only seen, you know, what, two undefeated seasons during the Saban era, so 2009 and, and 2020. So it's yep. it's – completely logical to think Alabama will drop a game during the regular season. And maybe it's early on when they're figuring out this quarterback thing. Um, But I think 10 and a half makes sense. I mean, Vegas knows what it's doing and I I would lean toward 11. Uh, I don't really know where I would pick the loss right now. But um, I think Alabama, if they can figure out the quarterback situation and they can stay healthy at some key positions, if this defense and that offensive liners physical, physical, if they're talking about being, I, I think they can certainly get 11 wins.
0: Plus, it's an odd numbered year. Nine, 11, 15, 17. Right. That's Four of Saban's national championships at Alabama. And I agree with you on the schedule. That's what makes it at least somewhat inviting to go over the 10 and a half with those games against Texas, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, and LSU at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Alabama's last home loss, LSU with Joe Burrow in 2019. Even with all that, if you made me make a bet of a sizable number, Uh, right now, I'd probably be inclined to go under. Um, I think, what do you think? X-Factor game in all this. I think Texas A&M on the road on October the 7th, because if you do drop a home game and and you lose a game on the road, like at College Station, obviously you're not getting to the 11. You need to go over the 10 and a half. Um, What about you? X-Factor game, is it still Auburn, though, for you in some ways?
1: Looking at the schedule... Um I mean yeah Auburn's always one, especially with it being at Auburn um but I think I still think LSU just because you know they return a hell of a lot they have a quarterback coming back um and there that's kind of the 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 Texas A&M game from last year that's being hyped up you know we'll see if it proves to be um Exactly that, but a lot of people are picking LSU to win the West, and and that, that's tough to be the, the X-Factor game because that's probably going to be the game, but uh, with it being at home, like you pointed out, Alabama's lost some games at home to LSU, it, it's a situation where I think if I'm just looking at the schedule and the first game that pops out to me, it, it's that. Now, that again is going to be one of the games. You you have the, the back-to-back games with Tennessee and LSU separated by a bye week. The, a lot of people are going to mm-hmm. circle those on the calendar. So for me, it, honestly, the X-Factor game might be Texas week two because we're not going to learn just a ton about Alabama in that middle Tennessee game, but that's going to be a huge game, not only for you know, the the teams on the field, but that's the, that's the first of the home-and-home home era that we're walking into with Alabama kind of straying away from the neutral site games. And so there's going to be... A ton of people in Tuscaloosa, I'm assuming college game day will make the trip. It's going to be, you know, all the hype around that game that week is going to be, um, at an all time high, but you could still be figuring out that quarterback situation. There's uh, other competitions that you could still be figuring out at that point. Uh, so I think the X factor game for me is probably
0: Texas week two. but the, the big Mm one is still probably LSU early November home game. I'll go with you with Texas because of where it's at on the schedule in September, and that's understanding Nick Saban teams typically never lose September games, but yeah. this is a little different situation, it feels like. Uh, the the benefit, obviously, is having the game at Bryant-Denny, and then I, I'll go with Texas A&M as the road game there, if, if you're thinking over 10.5. And I will say this, in relation to LSU, and really, Tennessee is a part of this probably, too. You better get this Alabama team early, is the sense I get. Yep. And as you pointed out, and I believe it'll be the case too, LSU will be the pick. I fully expect that to be the case at SEC Media Days. But I don't think seeing UA in November will work to LSU's advantage as much as it did last time around. This time around, I don't, I don't see that, see that being the case. So, uh, how the schedule lays out, and I think when you take the schedule in its totality, and we'll get into more of this as we get closer to the season. Um, it, the word exhausting comes to mind to me because Texas is so early on the schedule and even a game against USF, you're going to Tampa. It's mm-hmm. almost like you're playing a neutral and a home and home in the same season. Pretty much Charlie.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that a lot of people are, are that are, you know, crawling out from under rocks or looking at this schedule and, and being like, what the hell is Alabama doing <laughs> t- 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 traveling to South I mean, it's Florida? fun
0: for us, yeah. it's fun for us, but I think of it from a team perspective, USF isn't going to be any good, but you still got to load up, go to Tampa, do the whole damn thing. Right.
1: Yeah. Play in that hot ass. Florida yeah. Weather. The last yeah. time Alabama did that, it didn't, it wasn't a great performance down in the, the swamp. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it is. And then after that, you just, you start hitting murderers row with Ole Miss at home. I'm saying, man, it's a hell of a stretch there. Yeah. It's it's a lot. It'll be interesting. I, I do think though, I agree with what you said just a second ago. Um, if, if you want to get a shot in on Alabama, if, if, if they're healthy, if that offensive line's playing the way that it's talking about playing, and if the defense is you know, fast and physical under um, Kevin Steele, you want to get this team early. Because I think once they get rolling and hit that stride, they're going to be pretty good.
0: Well, a team you wanted to get early in terms of SEC play, this baseball season anyway, was the Alabama Crimson Tide. Not so much late. Charlie, which is bizarre considering the events surrounding Brad Bohannon being out in the wake of a gambling scandal that involves suspicious activity that reportedly involved communication between Bohannon and a better prior to Alabama's game one loss of the LSU series a couple of Fridays ago. I'll tell you this. You've been at this a while now, too. You're closing in on a decade. Can't believe that, Charlie. But in this gig, I've been in it for 20 years now. I saw the Mike Price situation unfold before my eyes in year one, Um, a lot of stuff in between all that. But really, for me, I I can't think of a stretch like these last four or five months for Alabama athletics, Um, maybe anywhere, what has been. And and certainly most recently with the Bohannon deal.
1: No, it's been a lot. Uh, And you're right. I mean, I'm entering. Uh, football season number 10 would be a well, and that is wow. crazy. But this stretch has been – it reminds me a lot of um, immediately after LSU LSU won the national championship in 2019 and then just shit hit the fan for them um, with all the things coming out from a, a negative news standpoint. And you know, with Alabama, it obviously started with the Darius Miles situation there in, in mid-January, and it just feels like it's just been one thing after the other. Um, and as a reporter, yeah, it's been exhausting. But, um, you know, I I think give credit to these baseball players, you know, these kids that, you know, went out and and won a series against the fifth-ranked team in the country in Vanderbilt. Um, You know, they kind of responded to their last midweek game against Troy and have a couple winnable, I think, series uh, to close out the season at A&M and Ole Miss coming to town. So um, it's – I know whenever the news dropped about the Brad Bohannon stuff, before it was linked to him, it was just the the baseball team and, you know, weird betting in Ohio. Uh, you know, people were just left wondering, like, what the hell is this about? And now that more details have come out, um, it is shocking. It's surprising. But, um, again, give credit to those kids and, and Jason Jackson for what they've been able to do. And, yeah, you know, I know Greg Byrne you know, spoke up in Birmingham this morning. It sounds like it's not going to affect the postseason. Again, no players have, have been linked to this. And, you know, we've seen across the country with, you know, teams from Iowa and other places that hasn't necessarily been the case. So right now um, it's been quiet. But when you say that, you know, usually bad things happen.
0: Yeah, I think you said it. I keep going back to the players who seemingly continue to be unfazed by everything that has gone on around them. Really going back to that Auburn series when you had the lawsuit uh, against Bohannon and some other Uh, entities that brought on by a former Alabama player. And then you you look just at last night, Alabama falls behind Detroit early, a couple weather delays to sit through, and they still surge back to take a 7-2 win over the Trojans in Montgomery. Again, assuming this team is good to go where postseason eligibility is concerned, we have no reason to think that won't be the case. Is it possible that the events of the last month or so might actually serve to benefit this team as it zeroes in on its postseason opportunities? It's
1: possible. Um, you know, whenever you have someone that you trust and you're know, the leader of the organization you're in, and you find out that you know they're doing something that you don't agree with and kind of sheds poor light on the program, and maybe. Uh, has affected your past games, then I, I think that can light a fire under you. And, you know, it, it, it's never easy in the SEC by any means. Um, it's the toughest league and, and maybe sports when it comes to just SEC baseball and the gauntlet you have to face on a week-in and week-out basis. But um, I think it could certainly be a – maybe not a turning point, but a um, a catalyst for this team and one that can motivate them to – you know, end the season strong, you know, make it to Hoover, maybe make a little noise there and, and make a regional. I think that, you know, if, if you're these players and everything you've gone through, I think that's all you can really hope for.
0: Yeah, you know, this sort of initially to me smell like the Tim Donahue situation, the former NBA referee, who, by the way, on Netflix, there's been this tremendous uh, documentary on his situation. He was. um convicted of uh, or proven to have uh, bet on NBA games in which he officiated and his stance has always been that he basically provided his insight and knowledge into the league to gamblers while not impacting the game as an official (laughs) by that if you will by that narrative if you will but he has stood by it for years Uh, it's a big part of that documentary I would think, and I've been asked about this, how concerning is it in in the way of collegiate athletics that this could be going on? I I think it's certainly going on in other places. So, uh, But I think a similar narrative would be offered uh, if some other situations or even the current one comes more fully to light that, you know, look, I wasn't making moves that were not at the best interest of my team and things like that. But it does make you it does you know i find myself thinking back charlie to certain moves and wonder if they might have been the result of ulterior motives not just in games that alabama lost either you know maybe there were games alabama won and some roles on this team were changed or extended perhaps in an effort to close out wins you know if the money was the other way and again we don't have any uh, any inclination that that more than that that opener against LSU was is under suspension, but uh, suspicion. But uh, it, it does make you at least consider some of the buttons that were pushed under Bo watch.
1: No, it definitely does. I mean, that's the power of hindsight. Is now that we know the facts, you you look back and you think, well, damn, how long has this been been going on? And you know, it again when whenever the news broke about the LSU series, you're thinking, well, of course somebody's going to bet on LSU. Um, but, you know, now to find out that the head coach had something in, involved with it, you automatically think back to, okay, well, where was Alabama, you know, playing with maybe some states that gambling was legal. You you just, you try to think of every little loophole, but, um, it's a shame because I think, I think the, the kids like Bohannon. I think that, um, you know, he's always come off as a, a likable guy to me, but you know, now, like we just talked about, this is gonna serve as um maybe a, a motivating point for them that the guy that they believed in, recruited them and was the leader of their program, um was was betting against them in some situations, or at least leading people to, to make bets against them. So it's uh it's a hell of a time, man. And uh <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it doesn't get any weirder.
0: Yeah, I mean here they sit at eleven to thirteen in the league. And they go to Texas A&M this weekend. Alabama does to take on an 11 and 13 in the league group of Aggies before a home series against a 6 and 18 in the league, Ole Miss and Tuscaloosa. And you think about it, they're safely within the realm of the SEC tournament qualifications right now. Um, Got to think that carries over to NCA tournament regional bid uh, opportunities as it sits right now. Really, if you think about it, over these next six SEC games. Three and three, two and four, they should feel really good about you know their their regional chances. I would think. Yeah, I agree with
1: that. And like I said at the top, it's their winnable series. I, I don't expect Alabama to go out and sweep these final two, but hell, that would be a, a way to close the season. But I think there there's certainly games that you could go four and two, or at least you know split them, finish the season three and three. And um, I know that that home series uh, to end the season against Ole Miss, the way that the fans turned out for this Vanderbilt series, I know Ole Miss isn't Vanderbilt from a a ranking standpoint. But I I imagine that Joe will be pretty packed, especially if they have a good showing this weekend in Texas A&M.
0: Yeah, really, they uh, they have a chance to to make a statement here in, in these next couple of series. And again, a team that seems to be playing its best baseball at the right time of the season, regardless, just a surreal stretch, and I'm sure one that Greg Byrne can't wait to get behind himself soon enough. Although, if you extend it back to basketball season with the circumstances surrounding the uh, Jamea Harris incident, it uh, doesn't look like some of that's coming to an end anytime soon. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm just uh, boy, I'm left to wonder what what might be on the horizon at this point, regardless. Thanks a lot, Charlie. As always, we appreciate you joining the podcast. A lot of good stuff going on with Alabama athletics. There is, trust us. A lot of news, certainly involving Alabama athletics. We're going to have it all covered for you at BamaOnline.com, starting with Charlie Potter, myself, Kirk McNair, from a recruiting perspective, Hank Sal, Tim Watts. Not going to find anyone better, any group better in the business, I don't think. And Charlie, we'll do it again real soon, hopefully.
1: Yeah, man. It's always good to catch up. And, um, you know, I honestly, though, I was looking on the board. I was expecting some Taylor Swift questions, so I'm kind of glad. Oh, we, we are, you, now, are
0: you a Swifty?
1: No. Well, the wife is. Um, right. So I guess kind of by association, uh, I've heard I don't know if there's another man You're on this kind planet. kind of a
0: Swifty in law. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't know if there's another man on this planet that's heard more Taylor Swift in the last month than me, though. Uh, was, it's it's been in the house in the car <laughs> um and then it's like your phone detects it so like if i'm on TikTok and scrolling it's just taylor swift taylor
0: swift taylor swift and so yeah um i hear you on that she man. went I got to a show in atlanta a daughter yeah, yeah. well she did, did, did she go to atlanta. a show did yeah. you go to a show i didn't oh.
1: uh, okay. her and her sister a couple friends went oh, and nice. they had a great time uh so much so that she was obsessively looking at tickets in nashville this past weekend to go back to back wow it didn't happen
0: you know i'm not a i'm not anti taylor swift i don't know how you could be right um i i just it's not my thing but i'm with you my wife and and the youngest daughter all big time both big time swifties and uh yeah i mean i i get it i I, great for taylor swift man I, i think i heard where this run, she's going to make like $450 million or something. <laughs> yeah. she She's come a long way, Charlie, since that Hillcrest prom she went to back in the day. Remember that? She exactly, She came to Tuscaloosa yeah. and went to the Hillcrest prom. Yeah.
1: That's the that's the jumping off point. So everybody that went to Hillcrest or surrounding uh, Tuscaloosa high schools, just know that a uh, Taylor Swift Air
0: is coming for you. And Peter Brook Chocolatier there in Tuscaloosa made sure she had a Peter Brook bag in her hand as she <laughs> left for the prom. Yeah. Marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Product placement, Charlie. (laughs) It it means everything. Well, good stuff, Charlie. And thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. For Charlie Potter, Travis Dreyer, thanking you for joining us right here on the Bama online podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we certainly hope you will do so. Anywhere you consume pods, you're going to find the Bama online pod. If you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out tremendously as well. And of course you want to hang out with us right there at bamaonline.com on the round table the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryder, thanks again. Until next time, so long, everybody.